Welcome to the refreshing word of Calvary Baptist Church, Accra. And now, the message. Let us pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. Thank you for your love and your goodness to us. We come because we are needy. We come because you can feed us. May your help come to us physically, spiritually, emotionally. Heal us of our sicknesses, our diseases. Above all, our short-sightedness and our worldliness. Lord, cause us to be in tune with you and your word because your spirit lives within us. This and many more, I pray in Jesus, our Lord and Savior's name. Amen. I welcome you again. We've been looking this year, if you've been with us, in the book of Luke. In that book, we see Jesus teaching healing, and correcting a lot of things. Today, and for the next few weeks, we'll be looking at what we call the new blessing, the new blessing that Jesus began to teach. Some have called it the Sermon on the Mount, which is from Matthew 5-7, but we're looking at Luke's version, since we are looking through Luke. Jesus' teaching ministry followed a long tradition of Jewish teachers who taught from place to place, and many people followed them. And Jesus was in a class of his own, and they followed him as well. What did the people expect? Oh, they expect to be ministered to. And did he do that? Yes, he ministered to the sick. He healed the blind. He fed the hungry, and they followed him. And they were excited because they know or they were sure that this man, this teacher, was going to give them the blessing, the blessings that he would teach them how to be blessed. Just like people today still flock to people who promise them the keys on how to live, how to be wealthy, how to be, how, how not to be sick, how to do this, how to do that. We always want to follow those people. Yes, it is good. But for most Jewish people, the word blessing meant you have a very long life. You'll be rich, you have a lot of wealth, land and property and servants. You have a large, healthy family. If you're a farmer, and most of them were farmers, your barn would be full. If you went to fish, you catch a lot of fish. And if you had enemies, your enemies would be defeated. And they had every right to expect that because God said there'll be material and physical blessings that come upon them. That's the promise they were giving in Deuteronomy chapter 28. So people like Job were rich. People like Abraham were rich. And when you come to the book of Proverbs chapter 3, he said, look, my son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands for they will bring you many days a full life and well-being, they will come to you. Proverbs 3, that's what he says, 1 and 2. So when Jesus came and they were following him, they expected him to teach them how to secure all of these things. <laughs> but Jesus was a different type of teacher. He came to teach them something. With the coming of Jesus, Israel's childhood period was ended. And the people had to become mature in their understanding, in their way of following God. 
Jesus is now preaching to them about how they should live as disciples, how they had to unlearn certain things, how to live in such a way that God will be happy with them. In the Sermon on the Mount, or whatever we call it, he tells them what it tastes like to follow him, what will bring true blessing, not only in this world, but in the world to come. So today, read it from Luke, Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, from verse 20 to 26. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spread your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and live for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. So we stop at verse 23. Jesus, giving his disciples his version, the version we are to believe, about what brings true blessing. And as you look at this, you will see some amazing things. Yes, Jesus is basically saying something. He rejects materialism just to think that it is only the things you get, the material things you get. I mean, the money, the houses, the homes, the women, the children, the farms. That is what brings you happiness or blessedness. It's not true. So he warns about being materialistic and the severe judgment that will come to those who think and think only that way. And now begins to teach what really the standards should be. And he starts straight away to tell them, those who are blessed, say blessed are the ones who are poor in spirit. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Now, when you read the Luke gospel, he said, blessed are the poor. You may interpret it to mean that poverty, those who are poverty stricken, those who are financially poor, those who have all these needs, Jesus is saying they are blessed. Well, we can put it together in context about what Matthew gospel tells us. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit means several things. If somebody is poor in spirit, for you and I to be poor in spirit, the one that Jesus said they are blessed, or they'll be happy, they'll be rewarded. What does it say? To be poor in spirit means you acknowledge your spiritual poverty. And you are saying, look, I didn't make myself. Somebody made me and gave me a spirit, gave me a soul. That is why I'm alive. It means you see that body, we call it a dead body, whether it is in a cemetery, on the street, on the film, in a film, and say, look, look at me. I am still alive. Why am I alive? Corona has come, you hear people dying, and you are alive to listen to me. I said, look, it is only by the grace of God. And you see people doing all kinds of things, paying all kinds of money to be cured, to be healed of any disease. 
so that they can be alive. Because they don't want the spirit to leave them and they'll become clay. Being poor in spirit means acknowledging your helplessness without the help of God. That you are solely dependent on God. You acknowledge that the real blessing in life comes only from a right relationship with God, not living only in this world, but in the world to come. It means you acknowledge that you are not superior to anybody. We are all equal before God. It is only the grace of God that makes your life different. You are spiritually dead before God. So you acknowledge that no matter what you have achieved in this world, whether it is fame, fortune, power, you are no better, no richer than the next person because death is the leveler. You see, this attitude means you are not proud, you are not haughty, you don't feel superior over others. So to be poor in spirit means acknowledging that every human being is a real person just like you who has one need. They have the need of God. The person who is poor in spirit shows appreciation to others, shows a life of humility and thanks to God. He knows that life is a gift from God. He has an understanding that whatever he has is the privilege, the privilege of being alive, the privilege of having another birthday. And you journey through life with a humble attitude to appreciate God and the things he has made and the people who come into your life. That is the attitude of being poor in spirit and contributing all you can to make life better for somebody, for those around you. There are two critical steps that are necessary to be taken by somebody who truly acknowledges his or her spiritual poverty. Number one, you turn your attention from all things of this world, knowing that the things can never make you rich in spirit. Now, it doesn't mean that you, you, you don't have riches or titles or gone to school, but you don't put your attention on these things. This is not what you live for. Secondly, your primary attention is to God and his kingdom, knowing that only he alone can make you rich in spirit, that nothing in this world can make you in spirit, since you are only passing through this world. I had this professor, somebody asked him a question. Look, sir, what car should I drive as a Christian? And the man looked at him and said, the car you drive really doesn't matter. It is what you do and how you feel about the car you drive and what you do with it. And the student said, say, I don't understand. He said, yeah, you may see somebody driving the most expensive car in this world. And he sees somebody who has been knocked down and the person stops. He says, bring the car, bring the person, bring the car. Tell the driver, bring the car. Reverse, come. Put this person in my car and I'll rush him to the hospital. And he will do that gladly. Remove his coat and take the person to the hospital. Maybe the most expensive car, maybe a Lamborghini, a Rover. It can be anything, a Pathfinder, a Range Rover, very expensive. But you may also find somebody with a rickety taxi, an old, old second-hand car passing by. They stop you and say, no, 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 I won't take you. My money will be gone, my time will be gone, it will be wasted. You will spoil my car with blood, I won't. Which of these two, really? 
is showing an attitude of pride. Is it the car or the person? So it's about the person. The poor in spirit turns attention away from primary things. They may have them, but that is not their stopping point. Their kingdom values are intact. The opposite of being poor in spirit is having a spirit full of self, full of self-righteousness, full of caring only about yourself, not others, full of looking down on others. And that is what Jesus is saying. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of God. All the opportunities you have, you are about kingdom and kingdom and kingdom. You see, look the exact where Jesus says, so yours is the kingdom of heaven. The promise is not that it shall be yours or yours shall be. He's saying the poor in spirit receive the kingdom of heaven now. Now, because they begin to see the opportunities. They see kingdom investment, kingdom opportunities. They see the sick as somebody to pray for. They see the hungry as somebody to feed. They see those who are boasting and said, no, I shouldn't be like that. They begin to cultivate more and more the spirit of being conscious of God and being conscious how much they depend on God and being thankful to God. And they rejoice in their spirit because they see things differently. Beloved, is that your desire for this life? They be poor in spirit because yours is the kingdom of heaven now and in the world to come. And Jesus goes on, the second one. Blessed or happy are those who are hungry. Here he's talking again about a concept that we need to understand. He's not talking about physical hunger. No, there's too much hunger in this world. What is he talking about? So blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. This is spiritual hunger, not physical hunger. To be spiritually hungry means a lot of things. So blessed are those who hunger spiritually, who hunger after righteousness. It means to have a starving spirit, a spirit that craves to be right, righteousness. In the Bible, righteousness means two simple but profound things. First, it means to be right. Secondly, to do right, to be right. So, if you say, blessed are those who are hungry, blessed are hungry now, who are hungry for righteousness, they want to be right and they want to do the right thing. First, let's see the difference. There are those who stress being righteous and neglect doing righteousness. Oh, yes, they are, they, they, they are eager to show that they want to be righteous. What does it mean? It gives them a false sense of security because it causes this person to stress being saved by God, being acceptable to God because they have believed in Jesus Christ. People like that who only stress being right and neglect doing righteousness. Those who focus only on that, they neglect obeying God and serving man. You see, look at those Jesus talked about, who is my neighbor? The good Samaritan. Yes, the man, the priest was going to church. And so he, he didn't care about the one who had been 
stabbed and was lying down there. That's not right. So, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. I mean, you are being righteous. You have accepted the Lord, but you also do the right thing. When the Spirit of God moves you and touches you, you do what is right. But there are some also who think that I've accepted Christ, so I can do anything that I want to do. Lose living. They do anything they want to do, feeling that, yes, God has accepted them, and therefore, they are right. And then there are those who stress doing righteousness, and they neglect being righteous. You see, doing righteousness, they want to do the right thing, or they insist on doing the right thing. There are a lot of charitable organizations in this world. They feed the poor. They clothe the naked. They do humanitarian work. But they don't think that it is important to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, to take care of the things of the Spirit, to go to church or fellowship, join any group. No. They think on that last day, their good deeds will be measured and they will weigh more than their bad deeds. And then they will go to heaven. That is not what the Lord promises us. No. Righteousness means being right and doing right. Being right with God. Being right with man. Being right in the sense that you know without God's help, you cannot do anything. But when Jesus said this also, he said something. It doesn't mean that there's anybody who is perfect in this world. Note exactly what Jesus said. He didn't say, blessed are the righteous, because no one is righteous. The Bible tells us no one is righteous. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, says, it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. So what does Jesus mean? He said, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Jesus is saying that as imperfect as you are, as a human being, you love God so much that when you see the wickedness in the world, when you see sinfulness, when you see the corruption, when you see all the twisted justice, you are groaning in the spirit. Lord, when will there be righteousness in this world? You are praying about it. You are doing something about it in your little corner. You have the power to change something you are changing it because that is what God has put in you. God makes you hunger and thirst after righteousness. And he counts that hunger and thirst after righteousness as good that you are connected with the Father, that the Father wants the right things to be done. You live in a sinful world, a sick world, and they are not doing what is right. But you are praying that the right things will be done. And said, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be fulfilling what God wants them to be doing. Their spirit will be alert. Their senses will be alert. Their antennas will be alert. And they will be filled with abundant life. They'll be filled with love, with joy, with peace, with long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. They are blessed because they are sorrowful. They are the persons who are just hungry and thirsting after righteousness. They don't like it when certain things are going wrong. And they just say, Lord, help me. Let me do my best for you. 
Lord, I am yours. I am yours. I am yours. Let your kingdom come. After blessed are the hungry, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Jesus talks about those who are blessed again. He said, blessed are the sorrowful. Those who are sorrowful. That's the persons who weep and mourn. The idea is a broken heart, a desperate, helpless heart. That's those who are weeping over sin. It is a broken heart over evil and suffering. It is a brokenness of self that comes from seeing Jesus on the cross and realizing that it is my sin, it is your sin that took him to the cross. James chapter 4 verse 9 says, Be miserable and mourn and weep. Your laughter must change to mourning and your joy to sorrow. Now, who are those who mourn and why are they mourning? They are those who mourn and they are full of grief and sorrow. They cry and weep with utter groaning deep from inside. And there are three people who show that attitude that God says they are blessed. They will be happy. First, the person who is desperately sorry for their sin and unworthiness before God. The saints, they see themselves as not worthy before God. Not that they are useless, no. But God, I do not meet your standard. You see such a sense of sin that you are just broken and you go before God in humility. Jesus gives us that example. Luke chapter 18, verse 13. But the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, then your wrath for me, a sinner. God, then your wrath from me, a sinner. There's nobody who can stand before God and say, I haven't sinned, I'm righteous. No. But you are blessed when you are sorrowful and when you are mournful and when you do something and the Spirit of God convicts you. You are unworthy before God and you ask Him to forgive you. That's the person who is desperately sorry for their sins. It's not as if Christians live a sinless life. But when you sin, you are sorry. There are some who care less about it. They call it all kinds of names. But you are not one of them. You are not calling any fanciful name. You are saying a sin is a sin because of God's standards. But secondly, those who are sorrowful, those who mourn over sin, are those who, who see the plight and terrible suffering of others. When they hear about the tragedies, the problems of the world, the behavior of people, the states, the nations, the lostness of the world, all weighs down heavily on them. And they are mourning. What a world we live in. Lord, can you see the destruction of corona? Lord, the destruction of cancer. Father, the hunger and the poverty. Lord, the wickedness in the world and of the nations. The war that is going on. The Boko Haram and how they are killing people. They are just before God and they feel the plight and terrible suffering of others. And most of these people go before the Lord in prayer. They are interceding. Lord, help your people. Lord, help this world. Lord, help us to live for you because we are such a helpless world. That is how they see it. And they go before God, pleading with God, Lord, have mercy on your people. There are those who also when they see the trauma and the tragedy of others, the accidents and all these things, they are before God. The promise to those people is that they are blessed. 
the promise to the one who weeps that they will laugh because they will experience an answer to prayer. They will see how God comes through. It comes from seeing that God will do something about sin. God will bring an end to suffering. God will do something about it, not only in this world, but in the world to come. They will be comforted. God's Spirit will minister to them that I'm with you. Yes, you are my servant. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are grieving. I'll make you strong so that you do something about it. That I am in control, absolute control. That's what God says. The Lord says, eventually, my son, my daughter, you'll be comforted. You'll be comforted because you pass from death to life. You will see life. You want to see a world that is better than this world, you will see it. You will see a time when God will wipe away all the tears of those who have died from all this persecution. You will rejoice when justice finally prevails. You will rejoice because this world is not yours. You live conscious of the fact that it is not everything that is happening that is right. Your Father will comfort you. The last one group of people Jesus talks to, the standard he says for his disciples, Blessed are you when you are persecuted for my sake. He's talking about those who are being persecuted for the sake of Jesus. Not just being persecuted because they are telling lies, they are cheating, they are armed robbers, and they are being punished. The persecuted are those who endure suffering for Christ. And he spells out what persecution means. They will be hated. They'll be isolated, they'll be ostracized, they'll be spoken against, people will badmouth them as they say. He said, look, rejoice and live for joy. Go keep your eye on the reward. Because you don't belong to this world. The reason why they do it is that you are not part of this world. That's why they will do those things to you. You are not part of this world because you are eager to expose the sin of people. Yes, because they don't know Jesus. They don't know his standard. They don't accept his standard. That is why they will do this to you. Look at what Jesus said in John 15, 24. If I had not done the works among them that no one else had done, they would not have sinned. Now they have sinned and hated both me and my father. So he's done work among them. He's taught what the right standard is. You see, it's like seeing a surveyor or an engineer, or somebody from standards board going to the market to take some olonka and seeing that the olonka has been beaten or they put some wax in it or candle in it. So what they are really measuring is not one olonka. He said, look, you've been caught. The one doing the inspection knows what the right standard is. And the one who is cheating knows that they are cheating. When you expose people because of their sin, because of their cheating, they'll be angry with you. And so the easiest thing people do who do not want to be given bad name is that they go, instead of doing the right thing, they'll receive bribes. They'll close their eyes. And so the olonka is right. The fuel is right. The measurement is right. The road is right. You use the right measurement. They'll collect all kinds of bribes to see 
this is right is wrong or wrong is right because they are blinded. But if you want to be a Christian, you expose the sins of people by the standards of Jesus. And what will they do? They will persecute you because you want to do the right thing. Jesus said, look, don't be discouraged. Do not be discouraged. Do what is right. Do what is just. The world rebels against the concept of God and what is right. But you, when you are doing this thing, keep your eye on the promise. When you are being persecuted for doing the right thing, remember, that is what they did to the prophets of old. They persecuted them. But God will reward them. You experience a special comfort from the Lord. 2 Corinthians 1.5 says, For as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so through Christ our comfort overflows. The persecutor will receive the kingdom of heaven eternally. They are God's children. They are living by God's standards. And they will be rewarded not only in this life, but in the world to come. Friends, Jesus sets a new standard for his disciples. Are we following that standard? The standard is so high that you and I will have to go to him and say, Lord, if you do not help me, I can never and ever make it. He's talking to his disciples. Are you his disciple? Then you see that there's a difference between accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior, which is good, but that's the beginning of he coaching you until you fall in line with his standard. It is that standard that will make you be happy in him. That will make you see righteousness. That will make you know that you are following the master. It's like training you till now you are able to run a mile when you were not even able to run 100 meters. Now you can run. You can run because he has coached you. Then you can see I'm getting stronger and stronger and stronger. You are defeating the world because you are obeying the Lord who is your coach. The blessing of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit prompt you not to run away from discipleship, not to run away from being like the Master, because He is coming soon. It is only His judgment, only His commendation, only His award that really matters. We will live for Him. Stay blessed. Amen. This has been the radio broadcast by Calvary Baptist Church with Reverend Dr. Fred Digby, our senior pastor. We hope this message blessed you. Be sure to join us, God willing, next week, the same time and station. We are in Adabaka, opposite Mr. Big's restaurant, near the Kwame Nkrumah Interchange. Also in Shiashi, across the motorway from the Accra Mall and Botiano. Call us on 0243-690-485 or 0302-231-854. Contact us on WhatsApp at 0200-181-680. Visit us online at www.calvarybaptistgh.org. Write to us, Calvary Baptist Ghana at yahoo.com.